Well, thanks, worship team. That was an excellent song to, uh, to lead into our message this morning. Uh, that was great. Uh, and good to see everyone tuning in here online. Good, good to see you. Uh, thank you so much for joining the service. And just before we start the message, uh, I just want to, again, I know this has already been said, but I also want to extend uh, our condolences to the, to the Cron family. Uh, I had the chance to uh, call May this past week. And she told me that they were married, Abe and May, they were married for 62 years. Uh, that, is, that is so amazing. Thank you so much for your example. And May had commented on how uh, uh, it was just 62 blessed years. So, uh, so God bless you, May. We've been praying for you, and we're con- continuing to pray God's comfort on you and the whole uh, family. I also just want to thank Mike Wal- Walrod for uh, preaching in my absence last week. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for for sharing what God has done through you and Verna uh, over, over the years. And, uh, and I'm sure God is, is proud of you and Verna and your, and your ministry. So thank you so much for sharing last week. Well, we are continuing today in our character series. It's, I guess, week three of our character series. And um, some might be wondering, why are we even talking about character? Well, uh, character is, is crucial. I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, God can certainly use anyone, but I think his preference is to use people of character to, in order to, to partner with him to fulfill his mission in the world, which is, to, which is to create disciples of Christ Jesus. I think he wants to use people of character. And, um, you know, the other, the other factor, too, with, with our church, I believe that the Lord has some incredible plans for Grace Church, an incredible future for Grace Church. And uh, he wants to do some incredible things through us. Then the the temptation is when we talk like that, we think of, okay, what are the activities that God wants us to do? What are the things that God wants us to do? Well, sometimes it's not necessarily the things or the activities that God wants us to do. He he wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants wants us to be people of character. And before we get to the activities, I think we got to start with the heart. Start with transforming, with God's help, transforming our minds and our hearts and our character so that we can be more versatile for him to use. The other thing I find uh, that we will find as, as we uh, work towards the character challenges and qualifications that the scripture points us to, I truly believe that we're going to find that this is not just going to benefit us as a church, but it's also going to benefit you in whatever social circle, whatever community environment that you're in, whether it's a family, your workplace, your friends, your neighbors. Uh, as you strive towards these char- character qualifications that we're talking about in these series, uh, it's, it's going to better your life. And I would also add this. Uh, I said this before, and again, I'll say it again. There might be someone out there who's maybe not even a Christian. Maybe you can, would classify yourself as an atheist. I would challenge you to work towards these character qualifications, and you're probably going to find, actually you will find, that uh, your life is going to be benefited from uh, pursuing these character qualifications that Scripture points us to. Uh, and that I would hope that as you do that, it might... Uh, Perhaps in the back of your mind, you might say, well, maybe there's something to this God stuff <laughs> that this, this pastor of this church keeps talking about. Uh, yes, there is a God. He loves us. He's real, and he, he wants the best for us. And uh, I think as you pursue a life of character, I think we'll be blessed. And we do that, of course, with God's help. So we, we've been doing this for three weeks. And the first week, we, uh, we talked about elders, the character qualifications of an elder. We primarily looked at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And um, an elder, generally speaking, is someone who is uh, a senior leader in the church. And then the following week, we looked at the deacons. 
and the deacons, you might say, are kind of a, the next level leaders in the church. They, they have very similar qualifications. And then this week, I feel led to go to Psalm 24. It's a very different type of passage, but still, I think, speaks to character. And uh, a psalm is, a, is simply a song of worship to the Lord. And um, in this passage in Psalm 24, it's, um, it's, it's asking this question, um, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? So it's asking what, what kind of a worshiper, what kind of a true worshiper is the Lord looking for when someone comes to stand in his, his presence? And, and so I'm kind of interchangeably uh, using two different phrases. Uh, God's looking for a true uh, worshiper, but this true worshiper also, in my mind, is a person of character. Um, so we're going to read Psalm 24. It's only 10 verses. I'm going to spend most of my time in verse 4 um, and make a few comments on some other verses, but that's, that's where we'll, uh, we'll hang out. So let me just go ahead and read the passage, Psalm 24, verses 1 to 10, and uh, we'll go from there. So Psalm 24 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I'm so grateful that that is absolutely true, that God is in control no one else is in control. It's, a, it's an encouraging thing. Anyways, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend? This is a really interesting question, a really challenging question. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who is worthy to, to come before God? What kind of person is God looking for? Intriguing question. Verse 4 is... The answer in this psalm, verse 4 says, The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And we'll talk about there's four phrases in there that we're going to unpack later. Verse 5, what's the result of this person? Uh, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up, your he- lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord almighty? He is the king of glory. I'm actually thinking of a, uh, of a different song that just comes to mind as I read that passage. It's interesting, as I read the Psalms, there's all sorts of childhood songs that come to mind and songs that I come to mind when I was a teenager. But anyways, getting a, get, no, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, let's come back to verses 1 and 2, where it says, uh, it says this. I just want to comment on that before I move to verse 4. Uh, and I love this, the opening verses of the psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I think first and foremost, a person of character recognizes that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is the Lord's. Every person is his. Everything is his. I think, and I think if you come to this world, uh, this life with that mindset, you're going to be far better off than if you think... Um, you know, the good things that you've achieved or earned in life, you've earned by yourself. I think it's absolutely foolish to think that the, the things that, the good things, the blessings in our life that we have in our life, we've earned it by our own strength, our own intelligence, and so on. 
A person of character realizes that every good thing that we have comes from God. Let me give you some examples. Uh, maybe there's a student out there, and maybe you have straight A's, you're, you're in the 90-plus percentile, you're a 4.0 student, you're on the honor roll list, you're in a dean's, dean's list, uh, whatever you want to call it, and, and maybe you're taking pride in yourself with how, how, with how much you've achieved. A person of character, a student of character, will realize that, you know what, it's the Lord who gave me my mind to be able to get these grades, and perhaps it's the Lord who gave me my uh, family to be able to support me uh, as a student, and if I don't have a family that supported me, it's the Lord who allowed me to be born in this time in history where I live in a country that maybe gives me student loans so I can have the ability to go and study or whatever. A person of character, a student who is a person of character, recognizes that their achievements come from the Lord and not from their own intelligence or their own doing. In a similar way, you think of a maybe a famous musician who's maybe a, just a worldwide sensation with, uh, with their just the musical ability. And you need to ask yourself, a musician needs to ask themselves, who, who gave you that voice to be able to sing the way you sing? Uh, who, who gave you that talent? Uh, who gave you those relational connections so that you could make it in the music industry? Um, these things don't happen by accident. A person of character recognizes that it's God who gives me these talents. It's God who gives me these abilities. It's God who has given me these relational connections so I can do well in life. Another example would be a wealthy person. Um, maybe there's some wealthy people out there and they've done really well in their life, perhaps in the business world, perhaps in investing in some other way. Well, sometimes we can be tempted to think that, man, look, look at everything that I've earned. Look at what I have done. You know, one of the shows I, I love watching is Shark Tank and Dragon's Den, but oftentimes you see this attitude that, of, you know, these rich people, look what I've done just with my own hustle and my own intelligence. No, no, no. Uh, who gave you that mind? Who gave you those abilities? Who gave you those relationships? Who is the one who really gave you those opportunities to achieve whatever it is that you've achieved? It's God's. It's God who's done that. A person of character acknowledges that God has, is the one who's the giver of everything that's good and every good blessing we have in our life. Just another example, one more example. I recall, um, well, before I say that, uh, you know, Consider the person who is in, is in power, perhaps, a politician or someone who has incredible influence. And one person I, 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 that comes to mind is, the, is Pilate in Scripture, the person who tried Jesus before he was crucified. And Jesus made it very clear in that interaction that it was God who put Pilate in that position for that time. And so people of character, true worshipers of God, regardless of how good you have it in your life, no matter how hard you, in your own mind have worked for something or no matter what you've achieved in your life a person of character acknowledges that everything is the lord's everything comes from god every good thing every blessing comes from god and you can't take credit for yourself on your own and then we move to verse four but before we get to verse four let me read to you the question again the question is who may ascend the mountain of the lord who may stand in his holy place and there's four phrases that jump out at me at verse, verse 4, and I'll have to unpack what they mean. The first one is this, the one who has clean hands. What does clean hands mean? Uh, does the psalmist mean that you have to, before you come and worship the Lord, you have to make sure you wash your hands with soap and water and make sure your hands are literally clean? No, that's not at all what the psalmist is saying. A lot of these phrases are symbolic of something else. But uh, anyways, this phrase, clean hands particularly, 
It, it means to, uh, that, that, you're, that you're free from guilt, that you're clean, that you're innocent, uh, that you're innocent of harming others or shedding innocent blood. Uh, it could mean that you're blameless, that you haven't done anything wrong before God or others, that you haven't been involved in anything un- unethical or immoral, that you haven't uh, been involved in injustice, that you're, you're pure, you've done nothing wrong. There's a passage that comes to mind in Micah chapter 6 where God speaking to the prophet Micah. He's blasting the people for their injustice. They've been involved in immoral, unjust behaviors. And there's a very popular verse that we love to quote, and it's a beautiful verse from Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does God really want in us? He wants us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, to be people of justice and mercy and humility. I also tend to think that a person with clean hands, they're going to have a certain attitude about them where they, uh, where, they, where, they, where they walk with a heart of repentance and they work hard at making things right if they've done something uh, wrong. And I think uh, the Lord has led me to kind of just camp on this idea for a moment of making things right, what you've done wrong. And there's lots of categories we could point to, but let me start with the category of of money. I think so oftentimes we can find ourselves maybe doing something that were maybe shady or dishonorable in the category of money. There's a story that comes to mind in the New Testament where Jesus interacts with a man by by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. And uh, Zacchaeus, tax collectors, they were doubly hated. Uh, They were hated because, number one, they had a reputation and it was known that tax collectors would gouge people. They would take advantage of people, of people financially. So that was number one reason they hit a tax collector. But number two, the second reason they hit a tax collector is the fact that this was, they were often Jewish people who were gouging their own people to give money to their enemy, the Romans. And so they were seen as traitors. They were hated. They were sinners. And so Jesus comes into town and says, Zacchaeus, I got to hang out with you tonight. I got to come to your house. And so Jesus and Zacchaeus is excited that Jesus is coming to their house. We don't know much of what Jesus and of the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, but whatever happened, Zacchaeus felt the presence of God, and he stands up and he says this in Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And so Zacchaeus comes face to face with Jesus and he is convicted to make uh, right what he, done, what he had done wrong. And notice here, I'm going to read verse 9 in a sec, but notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't worry, about, don't worry about fixing what you did wrong, Zacchaeus. Don't worry, I forgive you. You're off the hook. He doesn't say that. Let's see what Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus blessed uh, Zacchaeus in his response. He, he, he affirmed what Zacchaeus was wanting to do. And I'm not saying Zacchaeus can pay for his sins. None of us can pay for our sins, but something overtook Zacchaeus's heart that he said, you know what? I've done something wrong in my life and I'm responsible before God to make it right. So I want to camp out on this idea for a moment here. Uh, I want to give you a few stories, a few examples. I, I remember sharing with our church a long time ago a, a story, of which so I'll just keep it brief now. But I remember when I was back in kindergarten, I stole a pack of markers uh, from someone in school. I know, it's crazy. 
I stole a pack of markers uh, from someone in school, a peer in school, and I felt so bad about it because I remember him feeling just so devastated that his markers were gone, they were lost, and nobody could find them. But I knew where they were, and I felt so bad about it. But you know what? I rededicated my life to the Lord in high school. And when I was in high school, the Lord, for whatever reason, put this story, uh, this, this circumstance back into my mind. And uh, what I felt led to do, I, I felt led to go and apologize to this guy. And I factored in some interest and inflation on top of the cost of the markers, and I paid him back. And he was able to get a nice cafeteria meal and a, and a nice ride home on the bus. Now, he didn't know what in the world I was talking about because he couldn't remember anything about that story, but he, he was appreciative and he didn't, he didn't really care. But I just felt that was the right thing to do. Uh, but let me, let me tell you a little bit more of a, um, another story that, that the Lord has put on my heart. In, in recent weeks, and as I was preparing for this message, uh, back around 2005 or 2006 or so, my wife and I were newlyweds. We bought a blue Toyota Tercel um, off of uh, Mechanic. And um, I think it was about $3,000. We bought it off the Mechanic. We drove it off a lot. We drove it home. And very uh, shortly after, soon after, we discovered that it was burning oil. Oh, shoot, what are we going to do? And this needs to be fixed. We brought it back to the mechanic, and we told him the story. And he said, hey, just, why don't you just go ahead and sign these papers? Okay, so I signed the papers. And he goes ahead, and he fixes the car. He tries to fix the car. It doesn't cost us anything. And he fixes it, gives it back to us, and unfortunately, the car is still burning oil. And eventually, it led to us many months down the road. A few months down the road, we ended up having to purchase another vehicle because this original vehicle uh, wasn't working right. But let me just pause and go back to the point where I was signing these papers. What were those papers? Um, I don't know for sure, but what I think what those papers were was uh, warranty papers. And I think what, what should have been happening there, I think I was involved in something shady. I think what probably should have happened there is that those warranty papers should have probably been signed at the point of purchase, not after you discover that there was something wrong with the vehicle. And so um, what I did was, just in the last week or so, I actually called this mechanic up, a purchase that I had purchased 15 years ago, because the Lord has put this on my mind. And the mechanic, actually, interesting, he remembered me, he remembered that he sold me a car, but he doesn't remember anything about the transaction. And uh, because this was so long ago, he doesn't have the paperwork, neither do I, there's no way of knowing for sure what had happened. I tend to think, on my end, that I was involved in something shady, but at the same time, in fairness to him, because I don't want to give him a bad reputation, he potentially could have been doing something that was totally legit, totally ethical, totally fine in his industry. Perhaps when you come back, under, uh, you know, after a certain amount of time, you can sign certain paperwork. Maybe, maybe he had a certain relationship with his warranty company, so I don't want to press him anymore. I don't want to get him in trouble. And I have no idea what warranty company we worked with. There's no way of me going back to that warranty company and getting it fixed up. So this is, what I've, this is what I've done. I really feel that I potentially have been involved in something shady by being involved in signing those paperwork, that paperwork. So this is, what, this is what I've done, although it's, again, it potentially could have been totally fine. What I've done is I've, I estimated what, the, what a warranty would have cost me if I were, were to have purchased it at the point of purchase, which I don't buy warranties, but estimated what it would have costed, and then I multiplied that by four, and that amount came to a certain amount, and then I just recently gave that amount to Union Gospel Mission uh, here in Vancouver. I gave it to the poor, because there's no way of me tracking down this warranty company. And um, that's what I did. 
And that was something that, that was an amount that I've given, that I gave to the Lord that was above and beyond what I would normally give to the Lord. And listen, I'm not, I'm not doing that because I believe that I can pay for my sins. I cannot pay for my sins. Nobody can pay for their sins. But there's something about doing something practical to, to make right what you've potentially done wrong. And so in the category of finances, is there anyone out there who has done something dishonorable with your finances in some way? Have you stolen from an employer? Have you ripped off an employee? Have you taken advantage of someone financially? Is, is there something that you need to make right from your past in the financial category? And I believe that uh, the Lord would have me kind of camp out on this question for, uh, for a few moments here today because I have this book here. It's called, um, it's a book written for pastors to help pastors just survive or thrive in ministry as the, as the book is entitled, Survive or Thrive. And it's a book that uh, I read through a whole chunk of it and then I put it down for a few months and I didn't come back to it for a while and I just felt led as I was writing this sermon to just open up this book and I had no idea what the book, what I was going to, you know, uh, start reading and I came to a point in the book where um, this, is, this book is talking, encouraging pastors to have friends that they can confess and confide in and really this can apply to really anyone. We all need someone we can confess and confide in and he, and he starts, I open this book and it starts with a story of someone making something right that they had done many, many years ago, something wrong that they had done many, many years ago. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this story uh, for you today. Uh, Again, the book is Survive or Thrive by Jimmy Dodd, and it's on page 255. And he's sharing a story of a man by the name of Rusty, which might not be his real name, a man by the name of Rusty who wanted to talk to Jimmy about confessing something in his life. He says, When I walked into the restaurant, Rusty was already on his third cup of coffee. Shoulders slumped, head bowed, and eyes tired. He looked as if he was carrying the weight of the world. Excuse me. Jimmy, I've been carrying secrets for my entire life, and I'm, at, and I'm at the point where I can no longer bear their crushing weight. I desperately need to share my secrets with a friend. His initial confession came slowly through a flood of tears. He explained that during his sophomore year of high school, he was one of the top or two or three players of the school golf team. Chuck was a well-liked senior, the best player on the team, the team's undisputed leader. He'd been playing golf since the age of five and had diligently worked to achieve his elevated level of golf proficiency. More than anything, Chuck wanted to win the city championship, which would be a natural step before moving on to play major college golf. During the city tournament, Rusty cheated, robbing Chuck of the championship he had rightly earned. Chuck was by far the best player on the course that day. He had worked so hard to be the city champion, and I stole that from him. For no real reason, I cheated on my scorecard and robbed him of what would have been his athletic crowning achievement. Rusty went on to share story after story, each a secret that he had carried for many years, in some cases, decades. We talked about the need to make things right. In the case of Chuck, it would mean tracking him down and personally apologizing for stealing a golf championship. As we talked, I noticed that Rusty's eyes began to slowly brighten. He slumped his shoulders uh, his slumped shoulders began to gradually straighten, and so on. Again, that's a story that is picked up in the midst of me writing this message and already planning to write on this stuff. So I think that was, um, I think God was involved in that. So here's a story about a man by the name of Rusty cheated on something, I don't know how many years, how many decades ago, and he's confessing it and he's trying to make things right. Again, is there something in your past that you need to make right today? 
Another category, of course, where we can find um, a lot of problems is in the area of sex. Yeah, have you been, has there anyone been uh, sexually inappropriate with, with someone? Have you abused someone sexually? How are you going to make it right? You know, I was encouraged by someone in our church uh, a while back was struggling with pornography. And the Lord was able to help them through that struggle. And uh, it's pretty cool when I heard this person's response. They got involved in giving money to an organization that helps women out of sex trafficking. And his logic for this was, you know what, I've been involved in pornography. And one of my ways I need to fight back uh, is to support ministries that um, help women take out of sex slavery. And so in other words, it's, it's kind of like this man is saying, I'm trying to do something in my life to make something right that I've done wrong. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, I think we need to ask our Lord, the Lord to search our hearts and ask ourselves, if, ask ourselves, ask the Lord if we've been involved in any kind of injustice in our life and in our past. And if you have, you need to go and make it right. And a person of character is going to do two things. First and foremost, they're going to go to God and they're going to ask for forgiveness because only God can forgive. Only God can forgive. There's no way in the world you can pay for your own sins. However, that does not get you off the hook for not reconciling with someone that you have wronged or hurt in some way. Uh, whatever it is, a person of character is going to ask for forgiveness and they're going to do what they can uh, with what they can to go make it right, go make it right with the person that you may have wronged in your past, no matter how many years it's been. It could be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years ago. And what, what is the Lord prompting you in your heart to do to go make things right? A person of character, someone with clean hands, is someone who is innocent, but they're also someone who makes things right when they've done something wrong. Let's move to the second phrase. The second phrase is this. Uh, so the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. A pure heart. Where clean hands seems to be uh, referring to action, either something we've actively not done or something actively we haven't done. A pure heart would be the motives or the thoughts of the heart. And that's just as or arguably more important than what we do with our hands, our action, our inaction. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, there might be someone here who's saying, you know what, I, I got clean hands. I've never done anything wrong. I've never, I've never done anything wrong. Uh, I've never not done anything wrong. Um, I don't think that's uh, possible, but let's just assume that is possible for someone out there. Um, I want to challenge you in this area. Because although maybe we haven't done anything wrong with our hands, maybe there's, our hearts haven't been right at all times. Maybe there's someone out there who's been, who might be saying, okay, I've, I've, never, I've never had an affair, okay? But let me ask you this. Have you ever had a lustful thought in your heart? Maybe there's someone else who says this. I've never gotten into a fight. I've never thrown a punch at anyone. I've never hurt anyone physically, okay? But... Have you ever wished harm on someone in your heart? Let me ask you this. Well, for the person who says, okay, I've never stolen anything. I've never ripped anyone off. Okay, but 
Have you ever coveted something from your neighbor in your heart? Have you ever been envious or jealous of someone in your heart? Someone else might say, I've, I've never said anything bad against anyone. Never slandered anyone. Okay. But have you ever maintained bitterness in your heart towards someone? Or have you ever passed on a rumor or gossip about someone that is not true? Let me ask another question for those who might say, I've never abused the poor. I've never taken advantage of the poor. Okay, but have you ever struggled with the heart of selfishness? If you've ever struggled with selfishness, um, that's in, in, in a very indirect way and sometimes a very direct way. It, it can be, a, a, that, that can turn out to be abusive to the poor in some way. The prophet Jeremiah said that the heart is, is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? You know, sometimes our hearts can deceive us in thinking that we are more moral and good and upright than we actually are. And when we don't examine our hearts, it leads to a, a life of hypocrisy. Uh, you know, it's so easy. I think we can fake it for a while. We can fake it to ourselves. We can fake it to others. But eventually, I think whatever is in our heart, whatever is in our heart is going to eventually come out with the words we say, with the actions that we commit with our hands. And that's why examining our hearts is, is just so important. And the psalmist realized this in Psalm 139. The psalmist asked God to search his heart. He said this in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so I think a person of character will often, in their prayers, ask God to examine their hearts. They don't just ask forgiveness for the things that they've, the sins they've committed, even in moments where they think they're pure. They go before the Lord and say, Lord, would you examine my mind? Would you examine my heart? And if there's something that's not right, that's offensive to you, that's wrong, that I'm not thinking straight, Lord, uh, correct me. Direct me in the right way. Um, and God is good. He's faithful. He will help us and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and search our hearts and help us, help point out things that, in our hearts that need to be fixed. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful blessing. So a person of character is one who continually asks the Lord to purify our hearts, to examine our hearts and point out anything in our lives that is not pleasing to him. And as he reveals those things, it's important that we come to him with a heart of repentance and ask him to help us to change in the areas that he's calling us to. Third phrase that comes to us in this verse who may stand in his holy place, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And number three, uh, who does not trust in an idol. Now, in biblical times in the Old Testament, um, an idol could traditionally be thought of as a carved image made of wood or clay or metal or whatever. And this might be literally something you bow down to and worship, but it also might represent some kind of a spirit god somewhere that you might be worshiping or, or following and what the psalmist is basically saying is uh, a true worshiper of God, a true person of character is not divided in their devotion between the one true God and whatever other idol you have in your life. 
And um, another way of saying it is that a true worshiper of God or a person of character is not someone who follows after vain things. They keep their eyes focused on Christ. They keep their heart focused on God and don't get distracted with any other idols in this world. There are plenty of idols in our world today. Now, I don't know of anyone in my life who bows down to a wooden or clay or metal object, like literally, but we still have idols in our life. We still have just as many idols in our life in today's world as they did in, their, in the Old Testament world. They just look a little different. Now, one idol that still remains in our day as they had in their day was the idol of money. And Jesus warned us that you can't serve both God and money. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a prevalent thing in our culture. It's always been the case. Sometimes we are held hostage. Uh, we're, 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 we're a slave to, to money. Another idol that I want to talk about for, for a moment today is the idol of self. I think the most predominant idol in our world today, in our culture, is the idol of self. Man, we love ourselves to the point where we worship ourselves in the place of God. That is a very predominant idol in our world today. I want to read to you a passage where the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Pastor Timothy, and he's reflecting on the uh, last days, and I believe we're living in the last days. And he gives, Paul gives Timothy a warning of what people are going to be like. He gives a list of what people are going to be like in the last days. And the thing that tops the list is what, we're, what I'm talking about here. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 and following. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They love themselves. They want to worship themselves. And just as a bonus, I'll keep on reading the list here. So people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I think the greatest idol in our world and our culture today is the idol of self. We worship ourselves. And when that's the case, we, we see a few things uh, as a result. Uh, we have a tendency not to want to answer to a higher power other than ourselves. We don't want to answer to God. Why? Because we worship ourselves. We answer to ourselves. And so we don't answer to a higher power because I am the higher power. I am God and I need to worship me. That's our mindset. Uh, we like to have the last say on what's right and wrong. God doesn't define what's right and wrong. I define what's right and wrong because I worship me, the idol of self. We define truth the way we want truth to be defined. Yeah, whatever is true for you is true for you. Whatever is true for me is true for me. Why? Because I am God. And I define what's true and what's right and what's good. We see this in the area of sexuality, where people seem to be inventing their own rules for sexuality and their own boundaries. Why? Well, God's not God. I don't answer to a higher power. He doesn't tell me what's right and what's wrong. I am God, in a sense. I define what's right and wrong, what's true and what's not true. It's the, it comes down to the idol of self. And so really we have only two options. It's either we are following God, we are wholeheartedly following God, the, the one and true God, or we are following some other idol in our world, whether it's money or fame or pride or anything else, but that one idol, that predominant idol in our culture is the idol of self. 
It's the idol of self. It's either we're following God or we're following the idol of self. And so we have the option. We have a few options. But what God would tell us to do today, if, if we are following any other idol other than God, the response needs to be one of repentance. That we repent of our ways. We repent of following every and any other idol, and we follow him with wholehearted devotion. Uh, we are called a person of character, a true worshiper of God, devotes themselves to, to follow God and submit to his ways and to his will. And when we do that, we will be blessed. The last phrase in verse 4 says this, they do not or does not swear by a false God. So a person of character, a true worshiper of God does not swear by a false God. In other words, simply put, they don't tell lies. They're not a liar. And, um, you know, this comes back to the problem with the tongue. You know, it's interesting. We've been doing this character series. We've had three messages uh, on character. And it seems like every single message we inevitably are coming back. This is by, this is by kind of, uh, by no purpose or intention of my own. We keep on coming back to the tongue. We keep on coming back with uh, taming the tongue, problems with the tongue. Anyone, a person who never tells lies, they're not dishonest, but they are truthful. And they're not someone who tells lies. They're not someone who spreads lies. They're not someone who slanders or gossips or spreads rumors. Uh, I wonder, what would our communities look like? Our family, our church communities, our neighborhood communities, our working communities? What would our communities look like if we decided to have this kind of mindset? That when someone comes to you and they're, they're about to gossip about someone or tear someone's reputation down. Um, I wonder... What would our communities look like if we said in that situation, listen, I'm not going to talk about so-and-so unless we're going to talk about them in an uplifting and positive way. What would our communities look like? I think they'd look a lot better. What else can we say about never telling lies? Well, if the opposite is being a truth teller, be a man or woman of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't make a promise to someone when while you're deceptively scheming up something different in your mind. Be a straight shooter. Be truthful. Be a person of your word. Uh, commit to being a person who uh, has a reputation for standing up for what is right and what is true. And when you do that, that's, um, that, that's a person that God will honor. And so we come back to this question in verse 3. The psalmist asked this question again, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And you know what, the psalmist, the way the psalmist could have ended the psalm, he could have answered the question by simply saying, no one, no one can ascend the mountain of the Lord. No one can stand in his holy place. Why? Because you've all done wrong. All of us come to the table at some level with hands that are not totally clean and with hearts that are not totally Pure. We've all done wrong. But, but, there is a God. And there is a God who loves us. And he loves us so much that he sent his son, his only son, to come to earth. And he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again to prove that he truly could conquer the grave. And those who put their faith in Jesus and believe in his death and his resurrection and confess their sins to him, their sins can truly be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the, ones who, Jesus is the one who purifies us from all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing. We can't do it 
ourselves. And for those of us who come to Jesus, we repent of our sins and we receive his forgiveness and we uh, trust in him as our Lord and Savior. We can be saved and we can be made right. You know, the miracle of the gospel is that because of Jesus, because of Jesus, I stand before God as a perfect person. When God looks at Ryan, even though my hands are not clean, even though my heart is not pure, when God looks at me, he says, Ryan, I see a person who has perfectly pristine, clean hands, perfectly pristine, clean heart, even though that is not true. (laughs) It is true before God because Jesus has made me clean and I stand before him perfect. And so if I were to answer this question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those who've been purified by Christ may do that. And I have been purified by Christ so that I can do that. That's the miracle of the gospel. When God looks at you, he sees a sinner sinner that has been washed clean, perfect, white as snow, purified because of the blood of Jesus. Wow. And so as a result, I'm no longer a prisoner to my sin, my guilt, my shame anymore because of what Christ has done for me. Praise God. Praise God. And if you've never accepted Christ's forgiveness, I would plead with you to do that today or sometime soon. And so as we close off our message today, I just want to remind us that character is just so important uh, as a church, as a community, uh, with us moving forward. And uh, I think we all need to be challenged in a practical way to a high standard of character in our church. And as we do that, I think we're going to experience God's blessing. And I just, just want to make up just a practical comment just before I close here. I, and I, I'm not just trying to fill time on Sundays. I truly believe we need to be pursuing character. Um, and so this coming Tuesday, I'm going to be meeting with the board. And, um, and the board and Steve. And we're going to be talking through the character qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And we're going to be challenging each other towards the qualifications in those, in those uh, passages. We're going to go through a process. I'm going to lead a conversation uh, with us going through the, those passages. And I'm hoping what will happen is that very same conversation or a similar conversation will permeate the entire church. That we'll be challenging each other to be people who hold to a high standard of character that God challenges with us with in in scripture. And, um, and I'm looking forward to see how the Lord is going to, to bless us as a church as we, as we tr- seek to honor him in his word. Now let me pray and invite the worst team to come back. God, we, we thank you that you are awesome, that you are good, that you love us, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. You rose again, and those who put their faith in you can be forgiven And when you look at us, you forget our sins. You don't see a sinful person anymore, but you see a person that is pure and holy and washed clean because of the blood of Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for that grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to work on us. We pray that we would continue to grow in character as individuals and as a church so that we can be more versatile for you to use. And we also pray, Lord, as we interact with people in our community, those you work with, our neighbors, that, uh, that us, us, us as believers, that as Christians, we wouldn't be known as people who are hypocrites, but we would be made known for people who are people of character, who are striving to sincerely follow you with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with, with all of our hearts, to live a life that truly honors you 
not for some self-glorifying, self-righteous purposes, but simply to be humbly used by you as you see fit. So transform us, Holy Spirit, in the way that you want us to be transformed for your glory and your purposes. Amen.